Father, uh, have your way with us this morning, as you've been doing. Um, we thank you for fixing all of our plans. And I ask that you would forgive me, and that you would grant me repentance for a heart that hates delay and hates to start late. Uh, it was burning within me. Um, and it's not anyone's fault, Lord. It's just things happen today um, on top of daylight savings. And I sinfully have been so angry uh, in my heart. And I pray that you would forgive me of my anger and that you would grant me grace and forgiveness and that uh, the beloved here would also forgive me uh, for just falling short, which I am prone to do. Uh, Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for blessing us in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I don't know about y'all. Um, yes, this has been one of those days. It's daylight savings. Half of y'all are still asleep, even though you sang a few songs. I am. Um, and, and what didn't help for me, and I just want to start off by telling y'all about how my last night went. And I think that's going to lead into the text this morning. For my home, Saturday night's the hardest night. Um, and Sunday morning is equally as difficult. Uh, and I'm no fool. I know that this is a tool of Satan to pull my worship and my thoughts in, into my mood and how I feel rather than worshiping him in spirit and in truth. And so Saturday night comes and um, I am short with my children. Um, they are frustrating me. In fact, when I was growing up, my grandmother used to have a thing she used to say, and I'm sure some of y'all heard it. She would look at me and start say, stop acting like a fool. Right? I don't know if y'all ever heard that growing up. Stop acting like a fool. But she would say that, and last night, that was like the thing in my head. I was thinking that of my children, they're crying for things. I'm like, why are you crying about that? that this makes no sense why you're upset right now. Well, they're emotional about this, and you know, they're doing this, and it's like you know that doing that's going to lead to something bad, right? Yeah, so why are you doing it? I don't know. And in my head, I'm like, man, why are y'all acting like fools? Like, it, fool, this word fool is everywhere in my head. And this is last night, and I'm dying inside. I'm angry. I'm, furi I'm furious on the inside. In fact, you can ask my daughters while we prayed. I mean, I'm just, I'm just not, I'm praying because it was a formality. I wasn't praying because I wanted to communicate with my God. And um, so I did that last night. And while I was praying, I was convicted. Like, no, Canaan, you're the fool. Um, I realized quickly, like, I'm mad at these kids for not doing what I want them to do. And I'm acting like they're, not, they're my kids more than they're the Lord's kids. And I'm, I'm, I'm upset and I'm, I'm, I'm angry because, you know, kids, they don't do what you tell them to do the first time you tell them to do it. And I'm big on first-time obedience. And, and they're not obeying the right way. And I'm like, man, I haven't shepherded their souls properly. And I'm, I'm thinking that after, in the moment, I'm like, y'all are just foolish. But then the Lord later is like, no, Kay, you the fool. You haven't shepherded their souls well. You haven't led them to me. You haven't shown them me. They're going to act as however they act because they're learning from you. And I was just convicted like, man. And then I prayed last night. My wife, you know, she saw me in this, you know, when the Lord convicts you and you don't want it, you in one of those things. I had that thing on me and I'm laying in the bed and she's like, hey, you OK? And I'm like, nah. And so she comes over and prays for me and I go to bed. I wake up and I feel the grace of God, right? I feel like he's forgiven me and I wake up and then this morning, I go, I go and get the kids ready to come here. We were here early this morning to help set up and my daughter needs to do her hair in the bathroom and she's like, I can't focus on my hair because I hear somebody snoring. 
I'm like, what's that got to do with your hands? And, and then as soon as I do this, she starts crying. And I'm like, oh, it's happening again. And, I, and You guys ever have mornings and nights like that? Where God has to, you know, things are just hard at the crib. And then you come here and you're expected to be like, kumbaya, hallelujah, Lord, Lord God. And the reality is our souls aren't there yet. Which is why we sing like we sing. And that's why we, the word is now the last thing you hear. Because we, we want the, 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 the words of the songs to soften your soul and draw you into a place where you can receive the word of truth now. And I know I need that. I need this word. I need a word from God. And, and what God has shown me is that I'm the fool in my home more so than any of my children. They're kids. And when I expect them to be something other than what they are, I'm the fool. When I expect them, when they're acting in a way contrary to how I've taught them, they're oftentimes, of course, they're sinful by nature. But oftentimes, a lot of their sin reflects mine. Last night, I was thinking, is there, you know, is my, and I was trying to justify my sin. And I was like, is there a place to be righteously angry? And, and, and beloved, yes, there's a place where you can be righteously angry. But I wasn't angry for the glory of God. I was angry because they didn't obey their father, me. And in our passage this morning, I think we're going to see the Apostle Paul with a righteous anger toward those who are acting foolish. But he's not angry because they're not obeying him. He's angry because the glory of God is at stake. And, 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 and they are blaspheming it with their actions. And so before we dive into the text, I'm compelled even now. I just want to ask God for grace for us this morning, because I don't think I'm the only one who had a morning and a night that way, and, and I have the opportunity and the platform to say it, and so if y'all have had that, pray with me in your heart. Lord, we are in need of your grace. We are in need of that strong prophetic rebuke that we may be the fool, that we may be the one who is not shepherded well. Lord, there are a lot of things that don't go our way, and we're just reminded in those moments, Lord, we're not you. Things don't have to go our way for it to be all right. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to care for our brothers and our sisters, our friends, our children, our loved ones, and treat them as they are, sons and daughters of you, that you've entrusted to one another. And that we would take care of it the way we borrow something of value from a friend. We would take care of those who are yours because you've entrusted them to, each, to one another, to us. And so as we look across the room, I pray that we don't take for granted the brother or sister who's been called by you to be in here this morning, who needs another brother or sister to lay their hand on them and pray. I am not above that and no one in this room is. But if we would just foster a, a house of vulnerability and truth rather than the facade of we're doing all right, I think we would grow rapidly in our faith and in our unity with one another. And so, Lord, make connections with us in this place. Draw us together and may no one come in and leave without being loved on and, 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 and correspondingly loving someone else through prayer, through a hug, through a genuine concern. 
Fill us up, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Y'all can open in your Bibles to Galatians because we're continuing in that series, uh, the book of Galatians, concerning our, our freedom in Christ. And if you're there, go ahead in Galatians chapter 3. And this is what it says in verse 1. Such, such a, a fitting word. And by the way, brethren, I didn't think of that illustration as I was looking at this word. I didn't have an illustration this morning. And then God called me a fool last night. And then lo and behold, boom, my illustration. Look, Galatians 3.1 says, You foolish Galatians. Whew, I can insert my name right there. Who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified? Go ahead and stop right there, beloved. You can see here that the Apostle Paul is angry, right? That, that word fool is a strong word. He's, he's not saying, oh, you silly little kids. No, he, he's saying a harsh word to these people. You foolish Galatians. He went from, and I want you to see the contrast, chapter 2, verse 11, what does he call them? Brothers and sisters. Then you get to chapter 3, verse 1, what's he call them? Fool, you foolish Galatians. And then he repeats it in chapter 3, verse 3. He says, are you so foolish? Now, I want you to stop there and just empathize with the Apostle Paul for a moment. I don't know if any of you guys have friends that do foolish things that drive you up a wall. Do you? Yes. And if you don't, you're the friend. But we all have people in our lives who do foolish things, right? And they do it over and over again. And it really gets us upset, especially when something, the foolish thing that they're doing is impacting them at a high stake. Like the stakes are high. That gets us really upset. And then we're even more upset when we've sat with that friend and loved that friend and showed them how to not do that foolish thing. And then they go and do that foolish thing. And what, you, what do you want to do but scream to them? What, you fool! Now, that's kind of what you want to do. Is you can empathize with that. We have all had that experience. Well, we've, I told you don't do that. I told you not to do that. We talked about this in the car. Man, don't do that. And then they give you the answer like my kids gave. I don't know. I don't know why I did it. And that gets you even more infuri infuriated. It gets us hot. It gets the Apostle Paul hot. And we need to remember the Apostle Paul's posture already. His, he has a posture of astonishment already because he's not dealing with children, beloved. Have any of you guys ever managed, like been a manager at a business? It's funny how adults are kids. It's amazing. It's like, what are we, three years old in here? You got a problem with her because she looked at you funny? What are we doing here? It, 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 what is it? it astonishes you. Look at chapter 1, verse 6. Paul has a similar astonishment. He says, I'm amazed that you are so quickly turning away from him who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning again to a different gospel. Paul absolutely hates the idea that people are being led astray. That's why he's astonished. That's why he's angry. He hates the idea that there are people, God's people, being led astray by false ideologies, teachings, and teachers. It hurts him so much so that he asks them these words. He says, beloved, who cast a spell on you? What happened? If you're a fan of Malcolm X, the first thing that came to my, mat, my mind is his speech where he says, man, you've been had. You've been took. You've been hoodwinked, bamboozled, run amok, right? That's the idea. He's looking at them and he's like, what happened? We was good. And then you went sideways. I'm astonished at what happened. The Galatians, 
They've allowed themselves to be led by false shepherds. And beloved, some of us have foolishly done the same thing. Guys, take a moment and think through what false shepherds have you allowed to lead you? Because not all of our thinking has come from God. And not all of our thinking is godly. The opinions of man have so infiltrated our minds that we've allowed it to sway our decision making. Where we go to school, how we view how to parent, how, how we view womanhood and manhood. We let the opinions of people dictate that stuff rather than coming from God. That's a false shepherd infiltrating our mind and telling us and guiding us in ways that we ought not go. And we allow those false shepherds into our lives sometimes. Sometimes we allow the unqualified shepherdship of our culture to dictate what we think and how we talk and what words we use and where we go to shop and play and do our thing. Sometimes it's the, the man or woman in your life that got all the money that pulls all the strings like Geppetto. Right? They say what happens, well, I need to eat, so I need to do whatever they say. I've been in that situation. I'm sure some of you have been in that situation. And then, beloved, I've, I've been hit to this new game. A lot of believers are going to, to, to horoscopes and crystals and tarot cards right. trying to figure out the future. Like, that's going to help you. Right? right? Oh, I, I, just need, I just need some guidance. And so rather, get guide, rather than getting guidance from the Spirit of God, they go to horoscopes and witchcraft and all this other stuff, just so they feel like they can get a grasp. Beloved, that's an unqualified shepherd. They have no business leading you. You're not their sheep. Beloved, it's, it's deep. What, what have you allowed to lead you away from Jesus and the gospel? Beloved, there's an easy way to tell if something is a wolf leading you astray. And just, just look at the trajectory of where they're leading you. Are they leading you to themselves? Are they, leading them to, are, you, are they leading you to trust in you? Or are they leading you to trust in the person and work of Jesus? If it's not that, they're a false shepherd. Plain and simple. If they're telling you to bet on you, false shepherd, get away from them. If they're telling you to lean on the strength of another, false shepherd. We don't lean on the strength of any man or any person at any time. We work in conjunction, but all things default to the Lord. Lord, if you will, if you make this happen. He's in control. He's the sovereign one. Don't let false shepherds lead you, beloved. This passage in Deuteronomy hit for me, and it hits for a lot of my college-age brothers and sisters. Deuteronomy 18, verse 9 through 15. Look look what it says in your cross-reference sheet. It says, when you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, Do not imitate the detestable customs of those nations. Stop there. Beloved, that's what Christians are doing all over this country, including some of us. We enter into a place and we let the place dictate more so than the scriptures dictate. There's something to be said about contextualizing what you do. There's another thing to be said about abandoning what's true in order to assimilate into what is already there. And sometimes we do that so we could fit in. He says, when you enter that land, be different. You are different. You're my sheep, my son, my daughter, my emissary, my ambassador. You belong to me. You go up in there, you waving my flag. I don't care what flag they're waving. And that's hard in the moment. Well, look at all, he says, don't copy the verse 10. No one among you is to sacrifice his son or daughter to the, in the fire. Oh, I can tell you all about that. There's a guy named Moloch that... 
they would worship. I'm gonna tell you about it, Bumpy. There's a guy named Moloch that they that they worshipped uh, in Old Testament times, and he had a. There was a uh, different versions of him, and the version that was the most modern was one where uh, he had a a bull's head and a, and a body like this, and he had arms that stuck out, and you would sacrifice unto that God by putting your baby on his arms. Now, inside of the trunk of him was a fire, and there was a pulley system in the arms. The arms were usually red hot because they were metal, and the fire would heat the metal, and it would place the baby on the molten heat of the arms of Moloch, and then the pulley system would drop and slowly throw the baby into the belly, and that was worship for them. Y'all don't know this, but King Solomon got caught up in this nonsense. If you read in the text, he was messing with all kinds of foreign women and they brought him to all kinds of foreign gods and he ended up sacrificing and doing all kinds of things and allowing this type of horrific realities in his, during his reign, in his jurisdiction. And God's like, nah, we don't let that stand where we are. We don't sacrifice our babies to the fire. It says we don't practice divination tell fortunes or interpret omens, practice sorcery. Verse 11, we don't cast spells, consult mediums and spiritists or inquire of the dead. Beloved, we don't do that stuff. As believers, we have the Almighty to go to. Look at verse 12. Everyone who does these acts is detestable to the Lord. And the Lord your God is driving out the nations before you because of these detestable acts. Look at verse 13. Here's our job. You must be blameless before the Lord your God. Though these nations are about to, uh, uh, though you are about to drive these nations out, listen, uh, verse 14, though these nations you are about to drive out, listen to fortune tellers and diviners. The Lord your God has not permitted you to do this. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. Key words, you must listen to him. That's where we go. Beloved, who or what have you allowed to lead you away from Jesus and the gospel? What unqualified shepherds were promising you green pastures and still waters, and all they delivered was dry the dry grass of regret and the rushing waters of uncertainty? You know what delivers dry grass of regret? X-rated material. That mug had a hold of my life for a long time. And though I don't go to that, there are other means that you feel less guilty about going to to still satisfy that ever-craving itch, thinking that it's going to bring promise and, and, and deliver, you, deliver satisfaction. And all it delivers, beloved, is bondage. You know what I'm talking about because it's a lot of y'all too. We use drug and alcohol as a means of escape, but we really just like runaway slaves. We're always recaptured by the slave master of reality. That's why you drink, isn't it? To escape, to feel loose. And then when it goes away, you're back. You can't escape reality. And God never calls you to. He calls you to face it with his strength. Beloved, let no unqualified shepherd lead you. John chapter 10, verse 11 says this. Look in your cross-reference sheet. This is where we go. He says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He says the hired hand, since he's not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees the wolf coming. The wolf then snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and doesn't care about the sheep. Verse 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own 
and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Beloved, that's the mark of a true shepherd who's willing to sacrifice himself for your growth and your good and ultimately your salvation. Don't be fooled, beloved. You know better. Everyone in this room has tasted and seen what this world has to offer. And everyone in this room, including me last night, knows what we're like when we're far from Jesus. Right? You know what you're like when you're far from him. Some of us in this room feel the despair of being lost even right now, even if you claim the name of Jesus. And here's what you're probably doing. You're creating an alternate reality or an alternate identity to protect the fragility of your heart. Beloved, we do this here. I saw this at Starbucks the other day. I talked with a young man who was dressed in every which way as a young lady. And I sat with him and I had a conversation. And what came out of the conversation was that his brother's just hiding. He's scared. So he created an alternate universe and an alternate reality and found a people who loved his alternate universe and loved his alternate reality that would finally affirm him because no one from the church would. He always knew he was a little different. And he always got called out for being a little different, but no one loved him and said, come here, brother, I'm going to do life with you. And so to protect the fragility of his own heart, he created and fabricated this world around him to protect himself. And the sad part was he knew he did that. And he didn't want to come out, of the, he didn't want to come out the matrix. And I was telling him, the reality's still there, brother. You know what's up when you look in the mirror at night. And when I said that, he just started crying. So I shared the gospel and the hope of Christ and that he's accepted in the sight of God. If he would but repent and believe, God is able to draw all men to himself and that he loves them. He has value. He's made in God's image. He's not a throwaway. There are brothers and sisters who would love to walk with you and love you and show you what this, what this, what this Jesus thing is about. And he was like, nah, I've been burnt too much. I was like, so where are you going to go? I don't know. Some of us in this room create alternate realities around us to protect us. One in which we're never wrong. One in which everybody else has the problem. Wow. One in which wow. I can't find community even though you ain't trying to find community. Wow. One that nobody checks up on me and loves me and cares for me. These are false worlds that we are living in, that we're creating. Beloved, we're the guilty party usually. We don't want to admit it. Beloved, if you're finding yourself in the despair of that brother, or you find yourself in an alternate reality because you're trying to protect your, the fragility of your heart, I want to call you to let Jesus protect you. Stop trying to protect yourself. You are ill-equipped to protect your heart. We do this with our spouses. I can't give you my heart anymore. I'm scared to give you, tell you my deepest, darkest. Beloved, you can't protect your heart. Let Jesus protect your heart. Give that to him to do. Your heart's probably stronger than what you thought it was because he'll strengthen you to endure whatever comes your way. Nothing will come to you that he doesn't allow. Let him protect your heart. I want to tell you the same thing I told him. Jesus has come to shepherd you. He's come to guide you. He's come to feed you. And he's come to redeem you. And he gives his very life to do so and to prove his love for you in that way. I, tell him, I told him the same thing I tell you, beloved, there's an enemy out there that desires to lead you far from the love and care of the good shepherd. And his name is Satan. 
And contrary to popular belief, Satan doesn't care what you believe as long as it's not true. You can believe anything you want. The world is your oyster. Just don't believe this little thing right here because that's true. Everything else is on the table, though. And so we take it and we create our alternate reality. The Bible says in John 8, 44, speaking of Satan, that he doesn't stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Beloved, I want to call you not to fall for the spells or the lies that Satan has or this world has to woo you with. I want to call you to remember the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. That's the truth you can stand firm on. And if we turn from our sin and trust in him, we might be saved. Galatians 3.1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly betrayed as crucified? Beloved, Paul is angry because he believes the gospel and loves people. I don't know if you know, brothers, we only going to get through this first verse. <laughs> y'all thought we was going somewhere? Nah. <laughs> I chuffed all y'all. It ain't going nowhere. We're going to get into the theology later and talk about covenants and stuff in, in a week or so. Because we need that backdrop to understand Paul's argumentation. But I wanted to bring this to light. Paul is angry because he believes the gospel and loves people. Okay? Believe the gospel and love people. And what's crazy is those are very basic, but what's crazy is we basically don't do those two things. We have trouble believing the gospel at all times, and we have trouble loving people. Do we believe the gospel and love people enough to confront them? Oftentimes we avoid confrontation for one of two reasons. We don't believe the gospel has anything to bear on this situation, or we really don't love them enough to confront them about the sin that they're in. I wrote this sentence and it convicted my, me, so I'm going to read it to you. Do we believe the gospel and love people enough to confront them, or are we cool with entering the joy of eternal bliss with Jesus ourselves, while our loved ones in our community believe lies that will lead them to hell? I wrote that, and it was influenced by my uncle, who when I first came to Christ said, man, tell me, tell me why. And I didn't know what to say. So I just ignored the question, and I hadn't returned to him until years, years, years later. And I remember my cousin was like, Canaan, you can't avoid him, because if he dies, you had the opportunity to share. Why wouldn't you share it if you love him? And I was like, I don't know. I didn't have this concept in mind at the time. I would just know I was afraid. And then I came across this article a couple years back now. This is an old article, and you guys have probably heard this quote. It's a quote from the renowned uh, magician an atheist, Penn Gillette, you know Penn? Did I say his last name, Gillette, Gilletti? From Penn and Teller, right? This dude said, this dude, God used him to convict a, a legion of Christians. This quote is amazing, Look, listen to what he said. He's an atheist, I think he still is to this day. This is what he said. I've always said I don't respect people who don't proselytize. That means evangelize. I don't respect that at all, he said. If you believe that there is a heaven and a hell, and people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life, and you think that it's not really worth telling them because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody 
to believe in everlasting life is possible for them and yet not tell them that. I read that and I reckon with the reality of the lack of love in which I have for people in and around me. And I look at Paul's example of being willing to confront the brothers and sisters in Galatia who are believing something contrary to what Paul has been teaching this whole time. And yet still, not trying to be in favor with these brothers, but trying to tell them the truth of what God's word has said, he's willing to confront them and tell them, guys, you're acting foolish right now. And I'm telling you this because I love you. You've got to stop. You've got to cut that out. That's not good nor godly. And it's not true, even worse. Beloved, we have to let the depth of our love and the power of the gospel outweigh our fear of social ostracism. We just have to. Because we look at the news and we say that the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but we ain't got our hands on a basket neither. But if we're doing what God has called us to do in the sharing of the gospel and the living out of the gospel amongst those who don't believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, just maybe we'll see souls come to redemption. If we can live out the truth of what Paul said in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And a lot of us don't evangelize because we don't think we have the right answer if they ask us a rhetorical a question back. But beloved, your answer is not the gospel. Therefore, it is not the power of God to save. Your good looks won't save them. Your smooth speech won't save them. So you can stutter through that bug. Your creative presentation won't save them. So don't try to be cre overly creative. Your, your, your deadlock argument, your, your deadlock apologetic argumentation that refutes everything they believe won't save them. It'll disarm them to the point where they're like, I got nothing. But God, nothing isn't what I need. I need you to have something. I need you to have this Jesus. Paul said that the gospel is the power of God to save. So we need to resist the temptation to feel the need to add to the gospel in order to make it palatable for those whom we're speaking to. Beloved, you take one drop of poison and put it in a cup of water, that water has become poison. So we don't need to poison the gospel by trying to add RA1 sauce, remember that? By adding RA1 sauce to that perfect state. Don't do it. Beloved, faith in Jesus plus nothing leads you to everything. And that's why Paul says in Galatians 3.1, he says, you foolish Galatians, who has cast a spell on you? Before whose eyes as Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Then verse 2, I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Now, beloved, we're going to dive into what this verse means and the argumentation that Paul uses in the upcoming weeks. But for now, I want to highlight one portion of it, the power of belief. Y'all see that at the end of verse 2? Did you receive the Spirit? Now, he gives two answers, by the works of the law or by the power of believing what you heard. Verse 2 is a rhetorical question that Paul's asking them. And if you've been with us throughout this series, then you know that Paul is arguing against the idea that one must obey the law to be made right with God. And you know he's really pushing against this idea that you have to be circumcised in order to be accepted by God as well. He's pushing against uh, the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic covenant in a particular way. And he's like, yo, these are not the means by which you attain right standing with God. Remember that word justification to be made right with God that we talked about last week? He's like, that's not, how, that's not it. That's not how you attain it. And so he asked the question, 
It's, it's rhetorical, but there's an answer. I only want to learn this from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? And what's the answer to that question? Belief. More specifically, belief in the person of work of Jesus. Paul is saying that the Galatians received the Spirit or they were justified. They were, there's more to that, but they were, became believing and right in the sight of God. I mean, they became right in the sight of God through believing. And the key concept is they're believing in Jesus. Beloved, I want to tell you this. The power of one's faith is only as good as the object you put it in. Your faith is only as good as the object you put it in. You can have faith all day long that you're going to fly to Australia. You can do this and have faith. Size of a mustard seed. Go ahead. Make it, make, it, make it a sesame seed if you want to. All the faith you want in the world, guess what? The substance, the object of your faith is trash. You ain't going nowhere. Your faith is only as good as the object you put it in. And the thing that you put your faith in has to have the power to deliver. It has to have the power to do what it says to do. You trust an airplane to fly. That's what it does. And you place your faith in it to do something for you. And beloved, he's calling them and us to put our faith in Jesus, not that we be made rich. He ain't really about that smoke. He's about redeeming our soul and transforming our heart that we may impact a world for the power and glory of his name. That's what he does. And he doesn't want to sprinkling any kind of good works on it. He doesn't love you because you're good. He loves you because he is. That's why he loves you. Beloved, you ain't all that. And he doesn't love you because of that. Yet there are people who are saying that you need to obey a particular elements of the law in order to be made right with God. And he's like, no, beloved, that's not the good news. That's not gospel. That's not faith in what Jesus has done. It's faith in what you can do. And when betting on yourself always turns bad. And so he says, beloved, when you received the spirit, how did it come? Was it because you was a beast or because God is? And you believed his beastliness. Which one was it? Beloved, Jesus is not an unqualified shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He fulfills all the righteous requirements. That are un He's uniquely qualified to save us from the penalty that our sins deserve. Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Beloved, you can, you can trust them. All I want to bring to your attention in this verse is this. Don't be foolish and don't allow false shepherds to govern your heart and your mind anymore. God has redeemed you for a purpose. And he hasn't redeemed you because you're the man. He redeemed you to be dependent on him and to spread his good news that others are transformed, that they may bring others to him, see more redemption, see more transformation. And what's crazy is that little formula changes neighborhoods, changes cities, can change continents, it can change laws. It can change uh, people from, homeless, from experiencing homelessness to having places to live because the transformation of their heart views them as image bearer of God, worthy in God's sight, therefore worthy in mine. Beloved, the gospel changes everything. Not you. That won't change nothing. The gospel does. In and through you. Right. Beloved, proclaim it with fidelity. Right. Put your faith in the real one. Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God and God the Son. Yeshua HaMashiach is the one you need. 
next week, or maybe not next week, but the week following, uh, come ready to think, because we're gonna explore the world of covenants and laws. Sound fun? It's imperative that you understand the covenants that are in the scriptures and the laws, the, the corresponding laws with those covenants. If you're gonna understand what Paul's about to throw down in, these next, in this next verse, next few verses. And so come ready to eat, come ready to hear, come ready to take notes, and they're all gonna point you to the same place. Covenants and laws all point you to one person, the person of Jesus. Beloved, put your trust in him, not in those covenants nor those laws. Father, uh, there's so much more in the verse that I wanted to, but I had 20 pages, had to cut it. Um, and I'm just thankful that, I'm thankful that you're willing to expose me for the fool that I am and draw me unto you. I'm thankful that you've allowed me to repent of my sin. You granted me repentance, Lord, to be biblical, to be sound. It was a grace of you that I was able to repent. And it's a grace of you that I'm able to believe. And it's the same for these people here. It is only by your grace that they believe and know you. And it's only by your grace that they will believe and know you. Beloved, if there's anyone here pretending, I pray that you would call them out. I pray that you would be the prophetic voice in their life and call them to faith. To stop pretending to know you and to admit that they don't. That they may hear the gospel and come on to faith. And I pray that those who have entrusted themselves to you would stop questioning their redemption because their works didn't line up with it for a moment or season. But that they would trust in your work and your work alone to make them right with God. And Lord, Father, finally, I, I pray. I pray that Jesus be glorified, be made big in our sight. That when we leave here, Lord God, we can answer the question, did we receive the Spirit through works of the law or by believing what we heard? And Lord, I know I can believe in the work, the person and work of my good shepherd who laid down his life for me. Father, be glorified. Son, be glorified. Spirit, we didn't talk about you a lot today. Be glorified, Holy Spirit. You are worthy of our praise. And we will praise you all the days. We thank you, O oh God. And we praise you in Christ's name. Amen.